Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Joel, and it's a privilege to be able to speak this morning as um, we look at Luke 11 and we begin a new series. We've been, over the course of this year, taking sort of different blocks to look at um, the traits of mature disciples and um, unpacking those. So we talked about being part of a church family, and over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at praying selflessly and looking at what does that mean. And so we've sort of labelled this little series um, to teach us, teach us how to pray, like the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so over the next four weeks, I'm praying that we will learn and grow in our prayer lives as individuals and as a church. Um, so before we get into it any further, how about we pray? So Father, we, um, we do thank you that we can come to you in prayer, that we can come to your word that we can listen to you. And I pray that as we go through this morning, as we unpack your words together, as we interact with each other, and even over the next few weeks, I pray that we would grow in our prayer. Not so that we may see more results, but so that we may see you more and more and we draw closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let's go quick, quick survey. How many of you think you have a perfect prayer life? Hands up. No one. All right. Just to confirm my survey that I've been doing over the last few weeks, I've been talking to different people and I've been asking them, you know, how would you sum up your prayer life? And pretty much everyone I've talked to have said it could be better. In some way or shape or form, they said it could be better. This is people that are, you know, you know, been Christians for a long time, people that are new Christians, people that I look up to in their faith, and everyone sort of says this sense of, I don't quite pray as much as I should. You know, I, I spend time in the morning, but I could do it more throughout the day, and things like that. And I'm sure we could all relate. And I know, I think first and foremost, I guess for this morning, to, for us to recognize that actually we need help to pray. Just like the disciples come to Jesus, just like Paul says in, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Because um, I think it's almost part of human nature. Paul writes that, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself in- intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even Paul writes that, that we as humans, we do not pray as we ought. We, we, we don't do it. Um, but he's given us the spirit to help us to pray and to intercede for us. And I think that's awesome. That in our human nature, we don't have a perfect prayer life, but God has given us the gift of the spirit to help us to pray and to pray more. And this is something we've been wrestling with as leadership. We, we had a meeting, uh, I think it was a month or so ago, and we spent a long time chatting about the prayer life in our church and recognizing that just like Paul said, like we do not pray as we ought. That, that the prayer in our church, it's, it's a key value. We have dependence on, on God as a key value that we've had for many years. It's in our partnership guide. You can see it there. It's been there for a long time. And, and we have a lot of prayer activity, but I think sometimes we go, you know what, we don't pray as we ought. You know, I just, I'm sure we can look at times, you know, different things in our church. I know... Sometimes in our life group where we get so busy, we chat, we chat, we do our study, and then at the end it's like, oh gosh, we should pray. And we quickly tag it along at the end. Or an early morning prayer, you know, before the service. 
you know, a handful of people. I mean, how many times have we been in times of prayer with everyone and it's like, it's more awkward silence than sort of passionate prayer, do you know? And I just think sometimes we need to recognize that we, we do not pray as we ought. But here's the thing, here's the thing for this morning, and this is what I, I, I don't want to be super negative because he's, I don't want, I don't want to, it's not just about a behavior change. This, this morning is not just about pray more. Because if that's all we hear, and if that's all we talk, that's just a religious thing. You know, that's just religious, pray more, do more. That's not what this is about. This morning, my prayer is that we would have a heart change. That, that our beliefs and our, uh, our perception of God would change, because that's a relationship thing. That's what we're called to, a relationship, not necessarily religion. So if we're just hearing do more, then we're not hearing right. That This morning, it's about a heart change and about having our beliefs change. Bill Hybels, he, he wrote a book and it was titled Too Busy to Not Pray. And I think this is one of the first perspective shifts that we need to have is that we're too busy not to pray. Right before the passage that we read, Luke 11, at the end of Luke 10, the context of the passage is, is Mary and Martha. You all probably know the story. Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house, having a meal with them. And um, it says, this is the line it says about Martha. She was distracted with much serving. I wonder if that sums anyone up here. I know I looked at that and I go, oh gosh, that's me. Distracted with much serving. And she, get, she says to Jesus, Lord, do you, not, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to come and help me. Because where was Mary? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. See, I think so often we're like Martha. We're distracted with much serving, we're busy, we're anxious, and we're troubled about many things, but we need to see that there's one thing that is necessary, and that is the relationship with Jesus. Sitting at his feet, listening to him, talking to him. Like, what if we change the perspective of our lives? That that was the one thing necessary. That relationship with Jesus would be central and everything else would come secondary to that. That we'd see that we're too busy to not pray, too busy to not spend time with Jesus. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, I have so much to do. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. He's the guy leading a reformation, leading a church, a big family. And he goes, he's writing books and I have so much to do that I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. And I go, that's like what it looks like, isn't it? That's the one thing necessary. And here I am struggling for three minutes at the start of my day. We, we cannot neglect our relationship with God because we are too busy. Life is too important. The mission is too urgent for us to neglect spending time with Jesus. So prayer you know, is one of those avenues where we connect with God and we have to see that okay that's the one thing necessary in my life and like I said over the next four weeks 
we're going to be asking God. We're going to be coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, help us. Show us how to pray. And my invitation to all of us is that we would go on that journey together. As in our services, in our life groups, in our grow groups, in our ministries, wherever we're at, that we would actually look, how can we pray more as a church? So this morning I want to talk, touch on two things. I want to touch on the essence of prayer and the effect of prayer. And so we're going to start by looking at Luke 11 and, and the essence of prayer that Jesus gives. Because if you noticed, I don't know if you noticed this when Fiona was reading, she read, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then it's like, whoa, it skipped a line. Did I, on my head, I was like, oh, wow, it sounds a bit weird when like, you read it out. And it's like, there's a few words missing in there. You know, it's interesting how the account in Matthew of the Lord's Prayer is different to the account in Luke. And there's possibly different reasons for that. It could be different times that Jesus is actually teaching and he's got the disciples in different moments. But one of my reflections on this was that if Jesus doesn't use the exact same words, what if prayer is more, is more than the words that we say? That prayer is not necessarily just about the words that we say. Jesus uses different words. You know, you think if it was all about the words, he would be consistent with his words. And if it was all about these words, then someone in the New Testament would refer to it or come back to it. Like, this is the only time that we get these words in the New Testament onwards. No other writer touches on it. No other writer says in their letters, hey, remember that prayer that we pray. Now, I'm not saying, like, the Lord's Prayer is not important. Like, don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that, that it's more than the words that we say. Like we read in Romans 8, that the Spirit groans with, with groanings too deep for words. I just think sometimes, particularly in our culture, in our context, we can get so caught up with the words that we're saying. We focus so hard on having nicely crafted, theologically correct prayers. And once again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I think there's something actually beautiful about being sort of having a bit sense of reverence with our prayer and actually thinking through what we're saying. And there's, there's something beautiful in that. Don't get me wrong. But I think what we need to assess is the motivations behind it. Are we just trying to please God? Are we just trying to win him over with the right words? Are we trying to please others and look good? Or are we fearful of what others might think if we say something that's a bit, oh, I'm not sure about that? I remember when I was at, um, I was at Bible college. And um, oh, look, I loved Bible college. But one thing that they can teach you subtly in Bible college is to be critical. And I remember um, one of my lecturers, a spiritual formation class, and he said, it was almost in passing, he's just like, you know, one of the ways that you can tell a person's theology is by the way that they pray. And so here I was, a young Christian, pretty insecure myself, at um, any time, at the start of every class, they got someone, he got someone to pray. And you, I pulled out all the tricks. You know, I'm, I'm just looking in my books, I'm pretending to write stuff, avoiding all eye contact, because I did not want to pray in that class. Because here he is, a lecturer I looked up to, you know, he's one of the big dogs on the campus, and I'm like, I do not want to pray in front of this guy, because what if I say something wrong? What if he sort of thinks I've got things a bit skew if? 
And what I began to realize is, is how much that was about me. And all of a sudden, prayer had become all about me, not about actually God. That I was more fearful of this one man rather than fearful of God. So when we pray, we actually need to assess our heart. Who do we actually fear? Do we fear God or do we fear the perceptions of people around us? Because ultimately, prayer is a lifestyle that results in the action of communicating with God. Prayer is a lifestyle that results in the action of communicating with God. Because it reflects what we believe. So if we want to change our prayer lives, we actually need to change the way, the things that we believe and, and what we think. Because, I mean, take this way. If, if, we actually, if we really believe, the, you know, the canons of Dort, you know, tenets of grace, tulip, if we believe total depravity, if we believe that we can do nothing in ourselves to save ourselves or to do anything, that we're born into sin and we're stuck there unless God intervenes, If we really believe that, would we not pray? And pray lots. Because we recognize that, you know what, I can't do this myself. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, that God can powerfully intervene into situations, that God can work miracles, that he can change the hearts of any sinner, would we not pray? Would we not just turn to him and say, God, you can do this I've read it, I believe it, and so I'm asking for it. John Piper says that prayer is the overflow of our confidence in God. Prayer is the overflow. So if we want to pray more, we need to have a deeper confidence in God. And ironically enough, I think the way that we get there is by praying more and asking God, actually reveal yourself, show yourself, help me to believe. That prayer is the overflow of our confidence in God. And I think linked to that, it's, it's a recognition of our brokenness. It's a recognition that says, you know what, I need God in my life. I can't do this myself. And so when we look at the Lord's Prayer here, we're not just looking for like a prayer to recite. Once again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think Jesus is teaching the essence of prayer here, the, the heart of prayer. And so he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to honor as holy. So is the heart of our prayer to honor God as holy, to glorify him, to say you are far and above everything in my life and everything in this world. You know, John 14 verse 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus says, ask whatever you want, I'll do it so that the Father would be glorified. That's got to be the heart of our prayer life. It's not about me, not to us, but to your name. Not to us, but to your name. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father may be glorified. I mean, Jesus in the gardens is a classic example, isn't it? What does he ask? Take, take this cup from me. That's an honest request on honest prayer that reflects his need he goes i take this cup from me but what does he add but your will be done that he's concerned with the father's glory not his own and so 
when we come and pray, would there be a major concern in our lives that, that God would be honoured as holy, that he would be glorified in what we pray and what we ask. Jesus continues, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That our prayers would be filled with requests of his kingdom coming. That, that things of heaven would become things on earth. In a glimpse now and one day in its fullness, that he would come quickly. So would our prayers with the glory of, of God in mind, would they be all about his kingdom coming? In Isaiah 62, it talks about giving him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as a a place of praise in the earth. And I love that thought. What if we gave God no rest in our prayers until he established his kingdom fully on earth? That we would would ask God to to bring the things of heaven to be things on earth. That there would be justice and joy and peace and equality and purity, that we pray for an end to war and violence, for an end to sickness and disease and death, that we pray for Jesus to be known and to be worshipped and adored. That that's what would fill our prayer life. The glory of God, the kingdom coming. And then the next few verses, which I've summarized as help us. Help us. Jesus says, give us our daily bread. So our daily needs, forgiveness, and to be led away from temptation. That we would ask God to to give us our daily needs. In Matthew 6, you know, where Jesus talks about do not worry. And he says, "Look look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do we legitimately come before God each day asking Him to provide us what we need for that day? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that we actually trust that God will provide our daily needs, our daily bread. That we wouldn't trust in what we sow or what we reap or the savings in our account, but we'd trust in our Father who feeds us. Each and every day, coming to Him, asking for our daily needs, our daily provision. That would come to God asking for forgiveness, and forgiveness and the power to forgive. That we come to God knowing that. He's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so we come to him asking for forgiveness, knowing that that's who he is. But also seeing that, that those who are forgiven should be the people that then go and forgive. That the people who receive grace should be people who then go and give grace. And seeing that biblical connection between being forgiven and then going to forgive others and asking God to help us in that. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive people. It's not easy sometimes to come and to confess our sin as well. But that in that we would see the beauty of grace and be the people of grace. And then Jesus finishes by saying, lead us away from temptation. 
that we'd ask God to lead us away from the things that distract us, that take us away from him. That actually, when we say that and when we pray that, like with our hearts, that we actually really believe that Jesus got something better. We don't ask God to lead us away from temptation if we believe that temptation is better than what Jesus has to offer. And that's the essence of our prayer, that, that we'd actually believe, you know what, God is something better, so I'm going to ask him to lead me away from this world and lead me towards him. So ultimately, prayer is a heart that recognizes our need for God and recognizes the power of God and communicates accordingly. Offering our thanksgiving, praising Him, glorifying Him, confessing our sins and bringing our requests, being honest and real with God. So then the question remains then, why would Jesus ask us to pray these things? Why does Jesus ask us to pray like this? It's the thing, because the Bible teaches us that prayer changes things. The Bible teaches us that prayer changes things. I mean, let's look ahead to the end of time. God's kingdom is about to come, and in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 to 5, it says this. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the angel, the hand of the angel. Then, then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the ground. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, Revelation can be pretty confusing and I often try not to venture there. But one thing, a couple of things that are clear in this is that it has to do with the destruction and purification of the world. And that God's action in that involves the prayers of the saints. It says it twice to emphasize the prayers of the saints rose and went before God and then God acted. I don't know if that astounds you at all. I read it this week and I was like, wow. God's kingdom's coming and the prayers of the saints are involved. That all those times, all those people all around the world who have prayed, God, your kingdom come. And who have specifically asked for things to happen with, in regard to that. And all of a sudden, that actually takes place in God's coming. I mean, let's look at James chapter 4, verse 2. It's even clearer where James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Clear as day. You do not have because you do not ask. And don't worry, I'm getting to the other side of prayers that Uncle Roy talked about before. We're getting there. But... Like, we do not have because we do not ask. Like, I don't know if you've, like, I, was, I read that as I was preparing and I was like, are there things in my life or things in our church that we do not have because we just have not asked? And we have not asked with faith and we have not persisted in our asking. 
Now that might mess with your head a bit. <laughs> it might mess with what you believe a bit. But the Bible is pretty clear. Do not have because you do not ask. That, that's the beauty of God. That he's invited us into his plan and his mission to ask and to pray to see his kingdom come. And that he's invited us into that. And in his sovereignty, in his power and his majesty, somehow he orchestrates that into his plan and weaves that all together. But he's invited us to come and to ask and to pray. Later on in James, it says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we could look through the Old Testament, New Testament. We could talk to people here and get testimonies. And we could see that all throughout, God answers prayers. And there are countless examples of that, that he's invited us to pray and invited us to see those prayers change things on earth. But (laughs) prayer is this paradox. Because the Bible is also clear that there are prayers that aren't answered, or maybe not answered evidently, should I say. They're not answered in the way that we think they might be answered. Just like like Jesus is, is fully man and fully God, like, that's a paradox. Like, how can one be fully man and fully God? Like, they are complete opposite things, and yet Jesus holds them in perfect tension. In the same way, our prayers change things, and our prayers don't always change things. And somehow we need to live in that tension. Last night, I prayed that Melbourne Victory would lose the grand final. It didn't happen. I feel like a few people here might have been praying the opposite. But no, we see throughout the Bible that not all prayers are answered. I mean, look, sorry, not all prayers are answered in the way that they think they will be answered. There's no, I don't think there's any unanswered prayer. Sorry, that's why I keep getting confused. But anyway, Jesus in the garden. Classic example. Father, take this cup from me, and the cup's not taken. In 2 Corinthians verse chapter 12, Paul writes, and he's writing about the thorn in his flesh, the thorn in his side. We're not sure whether that's a physical ailment or some sort of spiritual attack, but he, it's, enough, it's bothering him enough to ask to, for God to take it away three times. This is Paul, like one of the greatest men to ever live. He's got a thorn in his side. He's asked God to take it away three times, and God says no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness, and you can keep going. In Acts chapter 12, a couple of the apostles get arrested. John, the brother of James, gets arrested, put into prison, and he's killed. And then literally a couple of verses later, two verses later, Peter is imprisoned, and the church is praying, and he's set free. This is Acts, where all the miracles are happening, all the crazy stuff's happening, and yet two of the apostles are in prison. One of them's set free, the other one's killed. And so we live in this paradox where our prayers change everything, and then sometimes our prayers seemingly change nothing. Now we read James chapter two, we read James four two. But if you continue in, verse, in chapter 3, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
So there James sort of qualifies things a bit where sometimes we can ask and we can ask not for God's glory, but we can ask for our own glory. Even in churches we can do this. <laughs> that we can pray about church things and about ministry things, but in the end like it's really about us, not about God. I know I've done that. We can do that all the time. You know, God, help this service to go well. But sometimes that's so much more about me than it is about God. James says that we can ask wrongly because we spend it on our passions. In the same way, we can look at you know, our lives and you know, we, can, we can say no to our children for things when they ask because we know that in the long term that it's either dangerous for them or it's not good for them. Like how much more so can we expect a heavenly father who's perfectly loving to do that for his children here? That actually there are things that he might say no to because in the end there's something different in mind that's better. And then do we, when we come and pray, do we trust that like Jesus in the garden, take this cup from me. Like it, I don't want to go through this, but I'm trusting that your will is perfect and that where you take this, I'll follow. Like, do we really trust that Jesus and God, that his will is perfect? Finally, 1 John chapter 5 says this, this is, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That there is no unanswered prayers. That every time we come, approach God, we can come with confidence, knowing that he hears us. I think that's the beauty of this relationship thing, that he hears us. And so we approach God with confidence, knowing that his will is perfect, his timing is flawless, and heaven will tell the stories. I remember hearing that, Someone that heaven, like they just said, heaven knows the stories. Do you know, here on earth, we will never get the full picture of why our prayers seemingly go unanswered or why certain things don't go the way that we hope. But heaven knows the stories that one day we'll get to the end and we'll, we'll see the beautiful tapestry of our lives playing out and laid out and we'll go, oh, that's why. When we pray for healing, we don't see it happen. And we pray for the, that we actually trust that, you know what? I'm going to hang on to God's will. I'm going to hang on to God's plan and trust that in the end, he will unveil a perfect plan of his love and grace. Because in the end, prayer is, isn't a formula for results. It's the forming of a relationship. Prayer is not a formula for results. It's just a, a forming of a relationship. It's the one thing that is necessary, that we come before Jesus and that we would know him. There's plenty of serving to be done. There's plenty of things on, Mary, uh, on Martha's to-do list, and they're all important. But where Mary is, is the one thing that's necessary for us. That has to be the focus and the central point, being at the feet of Jesus. And in the end, Luke 11, at the end of the chapter, at the end of the passage in verse 13, 
Jesus tells a bit of a parable about a man who comes to the house and he ends and he summarizes it in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? You expect good gifts to be there. But he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That one of the best gifts that the Father gives us, his children, is his Holy Spirit. His presence by our side. Like, think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe, the almighty God, who's written history, written our lives into it, created every single thing that we see, says, I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my very presence when you ask for it. And that's a promise that he will do that. And that that relationship, that presence in our lives will be enough to get us through each and every situation. To walk the whole road of life and to become the people that he wants us to be who glorify him. And so, what do we do? We pray. And we ask, and we fall on our knees, and we persist, and we pray to see God glorified, to see his kingdom come, to see our daily needs met, our sins forgiven, and our temptation minimized. We pray knowing that, that we need God, that we're sinful, that we're broken, that we're prone to independence, prone to autonomy and trying to do things in ourselves, and we, we know that like I said in the Psalms, if the Lord doesn't build the, the house, in vain it's builders strive. That we need God in our lives. And we pray, we, know, we pray knowing that God is powerful, that he's loving, that he's perfect, and that he hears every prayer and he answers according to his will, his good and perfect will. At times things will evidently very clearly change maybe even immediately at other times it'll change over time at other times it'll change in ways that we don't quite expect but we hold on and we hope and we keep praying knowing that he hears us and so may we hold on with faith if you have your bibles we're going to turn to Luke 18 and I just wanted to finish with the parable that Jesus teaches there and while we're doing that maybe um, the band you guys can come up and we're going to finish with a song in a minute um, but Luke Luke 18 in verse 1 it says Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And I thought, hey, that's probably pretty fitting for us. <laughs> let's, let's listen to what Jesus has to say about always praying and not losing heart. And he tells a story about a widow who comes before the judge and keeps asking and keeps asking and keeps asking for justice. And eventually the judge gives it to her. And the Lord says in verse 6, Here... The, what the unrighteous judge says. 
In verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think that's the question for us this morning. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes, will he find faith here at One Hope? Will he come and find faith in my life? Faith that, that keeps asking. Faith that, that keeps expectations high because we believe God is who he says he is. Faith that keeps holding on even when we don't see the answers because we trust and know that actually God's will is perfect. And, you know, if you don't take the cup from me, then so be it. I'm going to walk the road that you have no matter what. Faith that, that keeps persisting and keeps asking and keeps pressing into God, knowing that he is who he says he is. And so we pray without ceasing. And we pray with all of our heart, knowing that God hears and answers. And so that's my challenge for us this morning. Where's the faith? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And this morning, if you're struggling with that, if you go, you know what, I'm struggling to believe, I'm struggling to hold on, struggling to persevere, feels like nothing's happening, I'm struggling to pray, I'm going to invite you over this next period as we, we sing this song, just to use this song to sort of ask God to help you. I'm going to sing, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. And that we'd actually ask God, you know what? Come and renew my faith. Come and strengthen my faith. Like the, the beggar on the streets, help my unbelief. And that we'd actually ask God, you know what? Help me. Help me to see you. Help me to know you more. Help me with my faith. And that as we sing this song, we would recognize our need for God. And we would recognize his power and love. So why don't we stand and, and let's sing.